You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I am your host, Kathy Biasse, and I am a holistic nutritionist and a cancer coach. As we all know, life has its ups and downs, and as good parents, we want to equip our kids to be able to navigate the waters when they become a little bit choppy. We want them to be able to bounce back from setbacks, uh, pick up their socks and continue on. And it's one of the great challenges of parenting. And it's our topic today, how to raise resilient children with our guest, Julia Pelly. Julia lives with her husband and three soon-to-be-four young children in Central North Carolina. She has a master's degree in maternal and child health from Tulane University, and she works full-time as a writer and postpartum support specialist. Julia is passionate about helping parents understand that their children's well-being begins by focusing on their own. Her work has appeared with the New York Times, the Washington Post, Time, National Geographic, Glamour, Vox, Parents, and many, many other outlets. She also is involved with a new project called Your Postpartum Plan that we'll find out about soon, and she has a website for that. Um, Today's learning points, we have so many to talk about. It's quite a, a fluid conversation, but we talk about resiliency and why it matters for our kids Uh, What does resiliency look like at different stages of development? And how does the parent-child relationship influence resiliency? For anyone who's a parent of young children or old children, because parenting never, never stops, this is a great, great topic, uh, pretty relevant these days as well as we come out of the pandemic. Uh, It's been a real hit for parents and for kids alike. Great conversation um, to listen to. Julie is wonderful, very, very informative. So I do hope you stick with us. Uh, We'll be back in just a few minutes. Arrows flying into silence, broken pieces lying around where it went down. Water. Rising back to silence, quietly crying, wondering how. And look at us now. We thought our love would take the world by storm. Are we too far apart? Two worlds among the stars. You're gonna take a piece of my heart if you leave. 
Welcome back, everybody. Today's show is being recorded, so no opportunity for calling in. We would love for you to follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on those locations. Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Really not a better time um, in our space to talk about children and resiliency after the past uh, couple of years that kids have had to meander through something that we all have had to do. Um, But I guess in some way, shape or form, uh, this could have either embedded this, um, you know, resiliency in a child or thrown them off of their kilter. 
So I think it's a good topic of conversation to get onto. How did you get into the space, into working with children? I know writing is a passion of yours. How did you come to be doing this? Yeah, so I actually, uh, when I was just out of college, I started working at a group home. Um, It was a home for children who had been in foster care and for a variety of reasons were not able to be in a home setting. Um, And I learned a lot while I was working there. I really liked working with all the kids. They were great. They were awesome. But it also kind of led me down this long pathway of kind of what got them here, right? And thinking a lot about prevention and how you can kind of avoid kids um, growing up to be people that have really big struggles and have a really hard time with coping. Um, And so that led me to kind of study Uh, public health and maternal and child health in graduate school. Um, And after graduate school, I got my master's in maternal and child health. And again, that's very prevention focused and really thinking about how one generation impacts the next, as well as how kind of the early years can be particularly formative for kids. Um, And after that, I started working kind of a variety of nonprofit settings. So both local nonprofits and national nonprofits really focused on building resiliency in kids. Um, And I think that's so important because we can do all we can to prevent challenges for kids, but that's just never going to happen. No matter who you are or the life that you live, you're going to experience some challenges and setbacks. And so being able to develop that kind of flex those resiliency muscles and learn that as a skill is really important. Um, So I actually don't work in nonprofit anymore. Now I write full time about parents, families, and kids, but really do like to share ideas with parents and reach out to different experts and share what they know um, about kind of all the big questions of parenting that a lot of people have. And one of them, particularly over the last year and a half, two years with the pandemic is how do I help? buffer my kid from this? How do I build resiliency in them? And that's what kind of led me down this pathway. Well, very interesting, of course, very timely. Now, before we get into that pointed topic, um, as a person who is doing in-depth studying of parenting, do you find that we are moving in a positive trend as parents or in a trend that may be taking the feet underneath, um, taking the feet out from underneath children as far as building resiliency? You know, I think you're probably going to get really different answers on that based on who you ask. But I like to kind of keep a positive mindset. I know that a lot of people worry about kind of helicopter parenting Mm -hmm. or parents being too involved. But I think or I'm hopeful at least, that over the past decade or so, we've kind of seen how that can be troublesome, but have also really kind of grown as a society uh, and as a community in our capacity to understand how there are some parts of raising kids that you should be pretty intensive in, right? Focusing on your kid's social and emotional development, I think is far more at the forefront of most parents' minds than it has been in past generations. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, you know, hopefully we're going to keep going in that direction. Again, where parents aren't trying to, 
you know, snowplow for their kids or eliminate challenges, but are really going to focus on giving them the tools that they need to solve their problems and handle their problems emotionally. And then also create that safe space at home where they can really process those challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hopeful that that's the direction that we're going. Well, you know, for my parents, um, I, I think with the advent of social media and the advent of uh, the connectiveness that we are offered to our children with respect to gizmos and gadgets and phones, we can be far more in tuned as to where they are, what they're up to. And, you know, maybe going from not seeing your child from one end of the day to the next and really not know what's going on during that space. Like when I grew up to raising my children where, you know, really I have, if I, if they want to, you know, indulge me full access to them uh, Mm -hmm. on a daily basis, you know, as you know, I always hope that each generation, um, knows more, learns more is better than the past one, right? I mean, that's what we do. That's what science is all about. And so maybe, um, you know, we're talking and this is going to hit maybe younger parents right now. Maybe they might find a little bit more of that sweet spot. Whereas in my generation, it became easy to be a helicopter parent because we were granted true access. Um, Now, when it comes to the topic of resiliency, why is it important to develop these skills? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think resiliency is, is important for a couple different reasons. And I want to kind of first put out there how we want to define, define resiliency. So really, we want to think of it as the ability to bounce back from tough experiences. And I think from time to time, you know, there's some venues where resiliency is used kind of to downplay the challenges that some kids face. Um, You know, we've heard for a long time, kids are resilient, you know, and they bounce back. And while that's kind of true, it's also not inherently true. So resiliency really is a learned skill. Um, And once we know it's a learned skill, then it becomes much easier for us to understand how important it is for kids to develop it. So like like we kind of talked about before, all kids are going to experience challenges in life. And those challenges are going to look really different depending on who the kid is, their family structure, their community, their school support. But everyone, you know, not just in childhood, but through really all of life is going to experience setbacks. And we need to help people develop the skills to be able to bounce back. Um, And I think it's important to note, too, that resiliency doesn't mean that they can handle everything on their own. Part of resiliency is the ability to seek out support and is the ability to kind of be able to verbalize what you want and you need And when we teach people that, they become much more connected to each other, connected to their community, and really able to just move through life in a way where even when tough stuff happens, they're not totally knocked down by it, right? But they can also serve as supports to other people because they have kind of some empathy and can really verbalize and talk through how they overcame their own challenges and share that with others and be that support. 
So I really view helping kids learn resilience as something that's important for the individual, but also for the community on the whole. That's, that's very important too. And you can see in the playground, um, oh, yeah. some of these kids stand out as being able to lead by example with how they do cope. And, you know, we're not, I, obviously not aiming for perfection here, but I think it was a really key point when you said that part of resiliency is teaching kids when to seek out help. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and what we're, what we're doing is really demanding a lot of the skill set of the parent, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely. And that's one thing that can be really tough for parents, you know, mm-hmm. often, you know, I'll be talking with other parents and I spend a lot of time working with parents in kind of the newer phase of parenthood, right? That birth to five space. And they're always kind of coming in there, what they're maybe feeling like they're not doing enough or they're not giving their child enough, or, you know, they're not, they're feeling like they're not able to give their child everything they need. And really often what I tell parents is that they need to kind of start with themselves. The best gift that we can give our kids is kind of our own resiliency in some ways, right? Like being parents who know how to name our feelings and can model that being parents who know how to seek out support or ask for help and can model that is really valuable. And then being able to recognize, again, when things are a little bit much for us is is absolutely huge. So a lot of this does come from kind of a parent's um, ability to kind of be really self-aware, which can be so challenging, particularly, again, over the past couple of years when the demands on parents have just been massive with mm-hmm. kind of, um, you know, everyone being at home and parents now stepping into a variety of roles that they hadn't necessarily stepped into before, you know, being the educator and being the, you know, childcare provider while they're trying to work um, and a variety of other things. But yeah, I think I always tell parents the best gift that they can give their kid is really working on themselves to make sure that they are kind of, um, as self-aware as possible. So they kind of know um, and can model for their child what it means to be thoughtful and introspective and resilient. Are we using every moment as a teaching moment? You know, if, if parents, in your, in your opinion, when you're working with parents, yeah. um, are they, you know, if there's a moment of weakness or there's a moment of real hurt, you know, we're often hurt by our kids um, with Ooh. things they say or things they do. And, you know, uh, one generation may have just kept that to themselves. Um, mm-hmm. I think as parents now, we're becoming a little bit more, um, we show our emotions a bit more. Is that a sign of weakness or is that a sign of a a teaching moment where we can show our kids, Hey, you know, we are people too, not just mom and dad. Absolutely. I think that's a really great sign of connection, honestly, being able to be open with your child, of course, in a really age appropriate way, kind of depending on where they are in their own development. I don't know (laughs) any parent that can use every moment as a teaching moment Mm -hmm. because sometimes it's just, it's hard to do, to stay engaged. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know, you know, when, when parents do potentially lose their temper or they're a little more impatient than they want to be, or, you know, their child has said something that really does, like you said, hurt their feelings, which is 
definitely happened to me before too. Being able to just hit pause if you need to and say, you know, I'm going to take a little time because I need to think. And then, you know, taking that time and then coming back to the child again, even if you've lost your temper or, um, you know, not handled a situation exactly as you wanted to and tell them this is the feelings I was experiencing and this is why and here's how we impact each other and apologizing, you know, when you should just as the same way you mm-hmm. want to model that for your kids that can build a really strong foundation of connection. And that foundation of connection is one of the things that helps kids be resilient, right? Mm -hmm. Because they know that that's kind of an unshakable thing, right? That their parent is always there for them. So no matter what happens at school or in the world, they have someone that they can go to that will be that support and connection for them. Don't you find that the mental space of parenting is much more tiring than the physical space? Oh, yes. Well, it's so funny. I have, I have uh, three kids. I'm expecting my fourth soon um, that range in age from one to eight uh, right now. And it is, you know, in the newborn days and the early days, the mental drain is huge, but it's also a very physical experience, right? Mm-hmm. You're holding and feeding and rocking and carrying And as they get older, you think that that strain might dissipate, but really it just shifts. It's just a big shift. (laughs) I've got kids in their 20s and up and it's still, um, you know, it still weighs on the mental space. Obviously, the physical stuff is really not there anymore, (laughs) but, you know, constantly and at at some, especially in the teenage years, right? You're just trying to stay a step ahead Um, and, you know. And it's so hard sometimes as a parent, um, and I'm sure, I mean, your kids are a bit younger, but it, it, to differentiate or, or, or draw the line in the sand where to go to bat for your kid and where to say, this is, this is all you, take care of it, isn't yep. it? Oh, absolutely. And we've had, I had kind of my own, one of my own kind of personal tests about that this year. My eight-year-old uh, was finally able to go back to school. This is his first year being in school fully because COVID hit when he was in kindergarten. Um, And he has known a small group of neighborhood kids for a while, and he didn't end up in class with any of them. Um, He ended up in a totally new class, which I think to seasoned parents, you know, parents that have been there and done that feels really like, yes, it happens. But for me, emotionally, it just felt very (laughs) devastating. I felt like I wanted to plow the way for him and just ease up um, because he was disappointed too. Um, But I really kind of took some time and went back to my values about where do I step in? Where do I not? um, And talked with him and really said, how about we try it for a couple of weeks? And this is what it's like to make new friends. And this is what it's like to still see those friends that, you know, on the playground or in other places Um, and he practiced some of the skills we talked about and it was fine. You know, it was totally fine. But I also have, my five-year-old is, is not neurotypical. Um, and so sometimes I do advocate for him in ways that I wouldn't necessarily for my other child because his needs are just different Mm -hmm. and his need for consistency and familiarity, um, really sometimes are things that you have to push for. 
Um, so I think that's always funny for parents too, when they're juggling multiple kids, different needs that there's not always one right answer, right? Ab- like absolutely. And, and each yeah. child is going to need it, their own type of learning experience. I had four of them and yeah. they were, I mean, there was a situation, they're all completely different and how I might handle one situation uh, with one child, I, I think could be very, very different from how I would handle the same situation with another child. And uh, yep. therein lies the art of parenting, right? A picture that's <laughs> never completely painted and signed. <laughs> well, yep, uh, let's, before we get into a, you know, a long, a long conversation, let's take a quick break here, everybody. And we'll be back in just a few minutes to carry on this conversation. Praise to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our God and our King. To Him we will sing. In His great mercy, He has given us life. Now we can be called the children of
are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back. We are talking with Julia Pelli. We're going to continue this great conversation about building resilient kids. And um, I want to start off this segment by getting your opinion on, you know, we talked about each child is different, of course, but, you know, there comes a point in time when, let's just say in a sports setting, we let one of our kids make their decision about maybe what sport to choose. Uh, they want to try out something new or what team to be on. Um and we're talking here about choices and, you know, giving a child choices and the opportunity to sort of spread their wings. And I'm often, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I often wonder because as I mentioned, I handle each of my kids differently. Um, but on this point, I was pretty much the same path for the four of them. When my kids had a decision, um, or they made a decision and let's, let's stick with sports to say, try dance. Um, inevitably, um, I don't like it. You know, one of the choices, <laughs> yep. I don't like it. I want to quit. Um, and I wouldn't let them. And I know that, that, you know, maybe not have been the most popular choice, but when, when we give the children the, you know, try and, and allow them to expand their wings, which I assume is another concept of resiliency, you know, making choices mm-hmm. and consequences, how far do we go with allowing them to make mistakes? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And like you said, that's one of the one of the tough parenting things is there's really not an exact answer to it. I think I see this come up a lot with parents. Um, you know, the, my child wanted to do this sport and now they're in it and they don't want to do it anymore. Or they wanted to play this instrument, but they won't practice. Um, or, you know, they wanted to join this club, but now they're just not going or they're not into it anymore. And I think that there's a lot of right ways to handle the situation. And I think a lot of it, like everything, is going to depend on the individual child and the family context and the age. But in general, kind of my go-to on that is to really be reflective with kids and try to you know, do your best to be really clear about your values with them on the front end. Um, So when I say be reflective, I think it's important. A lot of parents feel like to expose their child to an activity, they have to be enrolled in a six-month course of it or a full season. And that's not always the case. Sometimes a kid who's interested in gymnastics will never want to take a gymnastics class. They just like the feel of the foam pit. They like the open gym. They like running around. Or a kid who loves to dance doesn't want to do dance class. They just like to boogie in their kitchen, really. So I think it's really important to be reflective as parents about really being kind of child-led, presenting them with options, right? But recognizing that how they might enjoy an activity doesn't necessarily mean that they have to do it in a more formal way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that when you get that, I want to quit this, sometimes it can be helpful to look back and think, okay, well, what prompted that? 
I think there's also always a lot of room for investigation, right? I think sometimes kids don't like to practice or do a new activity because it's uncomfortable or it's hard to learn things or it's boring. But I think also some of the time there's reasons that are tougher for us to see as parents, right? Maybe they just don't get a good feeling from the coach or maybe they're struggling a little bit socially on the team. So doing some investigating can be really helpful before we kind of make a blanket decree of, you know, you can either quit right away or you can't, or you're sticking with it for the whole season. Then I think the other thing that can be really helpful is to set up those expectations on the front end with your child. So, you know, you don't want to discourage them from trying new things, but letting them know, hey, if I sign you up for this and we start this, we're going to finish it. Are you still comfortable with that? And they might say yes, or they might say, you know what, I'm just going to stick to painting at home for another little while. And maybe when I feel a little bit better about it or more confident or more ready to commit, then next fall, I'll sign up for it. And I think those can be all helpful on the prevention side of getting Mm -hmm. to that place. But then once you do get there, after you investigate, I think you just need to think through your family values. And there's really not a wrong answer as long as you're communicating with your child, right? And being really open about the why and that it really is a dialogue. Yeah, um, we're not setting up parents here to have to be perfect. I mean, this this is, oh no. you know, I yeah. mean, there's uh, one thing as, as you're talking, uh, we were at Disney World one year and my son was able to hit the height requirement for this one ride. And we had passed it a few times and he said, I want to go on that ride. And, well, the lineup was like an hour long. And I said, it's an hour long, maybe, you know, we shouldn't do it. I want to go on this ride. I will long and the short of it. We stood in line for an hour. We got to the front. He said, I'm not doing it. I said, Oh, holy heck you are. We're going on this ride, yep. man. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, right or wrong, we are humans, you know, we are parents. Oh, and I yeah. think, I think our kids learn resiliency from our mistakes too. Um, and I think that's an important piece. You know, you, you parents out there, we're not trying to lay the ground for you to be, you know, the be all and end all of every situation. But I think when you you're, intended in the right direction, which comes down to something you talked about earlier, your relationships. I Mm -hmm. think that children are not looking for perfect. I think children know fallacies. And I think, you know, that I have adult children, they deeply know where I fall off the perfect parenting wagon, uh, bump my (laughs) head many, many times. And I think we, you know, we've come to a point where, um, we can sit down and discuss it, which yes. brings me to the point of resiliency at different ages. How do we know that we are hitting, you know, close to the mark? It's not going to be a bullseye, but how do we know that we're going in the right direction? You know, mm-hmm. when, you know, as, as our children are growing, resiliency will look different at different stages. How do we know that we're at least in the ballpark? Yeah, absolutely. So that's always a tough one. And it's always one of the ones too, that I think parents answer with the most confidence before they have their first baby. <laughs> um, oh, absolutely. You know, they, everybody. And I think that's good. I think it's all, it's good that we're reflective and that we mm-hmm. have intentions for the values we want to pass down to our kids. Um, but again, it's just tough to tough to figure out exactly how it's going to work until you have that kid. Execution can be a key. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think 
you know, to talk about kind of the very early ages, uh, really kind of babyhood, you know, through toddlerhood, really there's not a ton that you're doing other than building that caring and trusting relationship. And I think too, just to rewind for a minute, one of the ways that we can kind of know that we're on the roadmap is to have just a really kind of good basic overview of kind of normal child development, right? And that doesn't mean that everyone has to be an expert on what skills kids master when or how old they should have to be when they walk. But just generally like having a good understanding of what kids are, you know, their brains are capable of or their brains are supposed to be doing can be really helpful and guiding for us. Um, So, you know, thinking about, I I know sometimes people will have, you know, a child who's eight, nine and 10 months old and is, you know, feeling clingy. They don't want to go to strangers. Right. And sometimes I'll hear parents say like, oh, you know, I want to start dropping her off more, leaving with a babysitter. And not because they need that care necessarily, but because they're like, I don't want her to be scared for life. I want to help her develop, you know, some resiliency there. And I think that's a little bit of a miscalculation because when you kind of dig into the child development, that's right around the time that their brains are supposed to be doing that, right? They're supposed to be clinging to their caregiver. They're supposed to need that person more. And so that's the age when they're really learning a good, healthy weariness of strangers. Mm -hmm. So I think if parents know that and they know to under to expect that, then they view it differently, right? They view it as this is a normal step on their progression to independence rather than this is something that we have to help them beat, really. So I think for babies, toddlers, kids under five, really what you're doing is you're working on building your relationship, making your home that safe space for them, a safe space for them to experience their emotions, a safe space for them to explore what you do when you're mad or sad. You're modeling for them. Um, And you really don't have to go out of your way to let them problem solve on their own too much. I mean, I think you can create lots of opportunities for them to build skills and independence. So I know it's always one of the, you know, most (laughs) time intensive things, but, you know, letting kids help with chores, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, letting that toddler sweep up that you will then have to sweep up again (laughs) or letting that four-year-old set the table every night, even though you're going to have to go behind and do it again, building those independence and skills, that that confidence, that connection, that's just really important at that age. And then once you get into the elementary school years, again, you don't always have to create those situations where kids are going to have to practice resiliency because they're going to come up naturally. You know, a kid on the playground is going to say something that hurts their feelings, or they're going to have a really hard time learning something in class. And when that happens, I think the best approach you do want to be pretty hands-on and coaching with them. Um, So you're not solving it for them, but you're saying, what are your ideas to solve this? How can we do this together? How can I help you? Um, Even helping them brainstorm things like, you know, if someone's hurting their feelings on the playground, who can you go to for help, right? So you're empowering them to help themselves. But you're also, again, recognizing that they're so little and they're going to need your support, right? So what I always do with my kids in that age range is say, 
you know, we talk through and brainstorm and as they get older, um, start to let them be the people creating the roadmap of the solution. But the end of the roadmap at that age really always ends with, and if that doesn't work, I will help you, right? Mm -hmm. So that they know that you're still there to count on them, right? So they, you know, if someone, again, just the example I think every kid goes through, if someone's rude to them on the playground, they know to try the couple of phrases that you practice with them. And then if that doesn't work, they know the teacher that they can reach out to. And if that doesn't work, they know the other teacher they can reach out to. But if it's still happening, they can, I'll, you know, come to me and I will set a meeting and we'll figure it out. So they know that there's always that backup. And then as kids grow and grow, <laughs> you know, every kid takes on responsibilities, you know, differently. And there's not this magic age where suddenly kids should be resilient or should be able to do certain things. I think as parents, what you want to look for is a progression, right? So sometimes I know particularly parents of, you know, middle schoolers or high schoolers can be frustrated when they still are forgetting homework assignments or their car is running out of gas and it just feels so irresponsible. But what you want to do is you want to look back at how might this have been different a year ago, right? And how can we kind of concretely problem solve this? But I think that really the whole time you're raising kids, you do always want to have that default of, and I'll be there to help you. If those things don't work, I'll always help you. And it does not mean that, that the help necessarily will be solving the problem, but the help can be like, if you don't make the team in high school, I can't do anything about that, but we'll have a really nice dinner together and we'll watch a movie together and I'll be there to help, you know, cheer you up when that happens. So I think that's, again, what parents want to look for is just build that solid foundation and look for a progression in skills and the development of resiliency over time. And it's a never ending task that we have. And I can speak to that because, you know, as I've got my children going out on their own, they're always, you know, experience is a speaker. And, um, oh, yeah. you know, we have relationships with our kids and our kids have relationships with us. And then that will extend, you know, to the grandchildren. And you can't mm -hmm. have enough of these positive relationships, I don't think, because everyone will have an experience that they can look to. Um, Yes. to kind of guide. And I think that's so important. It's such a wonderful topic. And it's, you know, I, I, I love that you're in this place and are able to help parents because it's, it's a really hard and with all the bombardment of information that kids have, and then you have to try and filter out and, and put a stop to some of it. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm glad my children didn't really grow up. They kind of were across, they crossed into the, you know, the, the social space within the, you know, internet and so forth a little yeah. bit later. Um, and I, the, the challenges that parents these days must face are, are astronomical. So I, it's, it's wonderful that you're out there uh, slugging away for them. <laughs> any, any projects on the horizon or, you know, ways that we can um, connect to you that you can offer up to the people that are listening? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, again, am just always out there writing. So if you're interested in more of my writing or reading other things I'm working on, you can find my writing at juliapelli.com. Um, but another project that I've been working on 
recently is uh, more concrete support for parents that really are preparing to parent or in that first, um, you know, six-ish months, year or so of parenting. Um, So I'm working on developing a class for those parents, as well as doing kind of planning and support for the postpartum period. Um, And you can find information about that at yourpostpartumplan.com. And I do work really closely one-on-one with parents, really just helping them think through their parenting values and what they want that first year of parenthood to be like and how they can get the support they need. Um, So I think it's funny, you know, we're always talking about the development of our kids and their own growth, but that doesn't stop in adulthood. And one of the biggest periods of growth for people really is that space when they're becoming parents. Um, Mm -hmm. And they deserve a lot of support and help through that as well. No, we have the prenatal classes, but kind, and it kind of sets you up for the process, but not a lot of support there after you had the baby. And I tell you, you walk in, um, uh, you walk in as one person and a day later you're walking out as a completely other person. Um, oh, yeah. the feelings, the emotions, the awesomeness of what lies ahead. You can think about it. You it's, it's in your mind, but until you see that little one in front of you, it doesn't, you know, the, the, the emotions. <laughs> yes, get real there very with quickly. Oh yeah. And it's, <laughs> you can't prepare for that ahead of time. You just can't. No. Um, no. And I think that that is such an important, we talked about this, Julia, this is such mm-hmm. an important yeah. piece postpartum um, because really it's, it's not all um, balloons and bubbles and flowers after you've had the baby. Mm-hmm. It's an adjustment for parents. Um, and and I think it's, it's an important, important piece um, to attend to and something that we will be talking about uh, on, on uh, the health hub at some point when we can get to that. Cause I think it's vital for parents, Julia, thank you so much for joining us. A great conversation, uh, such forward thinking and uh, forward thinking though, in, in a way that is just so relevant for anybody who's a parent. So thank you so much for sharing your expertise in the area. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to talk with you. Thank you. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on the Health Hub. Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.